1: Up next, two people are attacked. Only one survives. This is a very violent crime.
2: The fact that he ran out of the apartment, left her there, it just looks suspicious. Are you saying
3: I did? I'm saying it certainly looks like it.
4: They just had no idea who did it. I think everybody was a suspect.
1: Until a partial bloody fingerprint finally helps identify the killer. We knew that it did come from
5: the suspect, and uh, that was a really key piece of evidence.
1: After graduating from college in 2004, Jonna Berry set her sights on being a lawyer.
4: She was the youngest girl ever accepted into law school in Michigan. She thought she wanted to go into law.
1: But after a few weeks, Jonna decided that being a lawyer wasn't for her. The academically gifted 21-year-old decided to be a child psychologist. She loved any child. She babysat and kept kids, and her life revolved around children. Though this was an easy decision, professionally, it was a tough one, personally. Jonna left her fiancé in Michigan and moved back to Tennessee.
2: Jonna and her fiancé talked every night on the phone. He was in Michigan, a law student. Both had such big plans, and they talked every night until John would fall asleep, which was kind of
1: sweet. Once she decided to move, Jonna reached out to an old friend from her undergraduate days, Jason A. Mummy.
4: He had an extra bedroom, and uh, he invited her to share the rent with him until she could find her own apartment.
5: Jason's girlfriend was also friends with Jonna, so they all knew each other from college.
1: Shortly before dawn, on a December morning, Jonna's roommate, Jason, said he awoke to find a knife-wielding man in their apartment. He confronted the man, who stabbed him repeatedly. Jason, spattered with blood, ran out the front door and into a convenience store down the street, where he yelled for the clerk to call 911.
0: Knox County, 911. There's a man that just walked in the store. He's heavily bloodied. He looks like
3: he's been in a fight.
1: Is he in an ambulance?
3: His roommate's still in there. Apparently somebody broke into his house. Okay, can I talk to him, please? Okay. Right, now, what happened? Um, we're both sleeping. I just felt somebody stab me right in my chest. Somebody stabbed you? me in my face. And that's the first thing I did, was get
0: up and run. OK, what about your roommate? Is he OK? I was just the she, and
3: she was screaming very loud. Okay. I didn't have any time. I just got out of
1: there. First responders arrived to find Jonna Berry face down near the front door of her apartment building, covered in blood. She was semi-conscious. She
3: couldn't respond to any of their questions, but she'd obviously been stabbed multiple
1: times. She had
5: stab wounds just about all over every part of her body head, face,
1: neck, some on her back. She had some defensive wounds. Jana died shortly after arriving at the emergency room. She'd been stabbed more than 20 times. There was no sign of sexual assault. Her roommate Jason suffered nine mostly superficial stab wounds and one wound on his right hand raised all sorts of questions for investigators the cut on
3: Jason Amemi's hand was extremely suspicious because it's a type of cut that is very common with knife slippage. During an attack, if you're sweaty or bloody, that slipperiness allows the hand to slip from the handle part of the knife onto the blade.
1: The wound to Jason's hand was far from the only thing that was suspicious. There was no sign of forced entry. The murder weapon was a kitchen knife from inside the apartment, and that many wounds often indicates a prior relationship between the victim and the killer.
5: Jason being in the same apartment with her, his wounds not being as severe as John's, it led us to believe, did he have something to do with this in some way?
4: She didn't have any enemies, none. I guess at that time I thought, could he have done this?
0: That's a n g i dot com.
1: There were three blood trails at the scene of Jonna Berry's murder one out the back door and two out the front.
2: There was blood on doors of other apartments, and investigators realized she had gone to every apartment after having been stabbed 26 times banging on the door, or at least pushing on the door, trying to get help as best she could, and no one answered.
1: Jana's family, in shock when informed of her murder, told police they had no idea who would want her dead. You don't know what to do.
5: You have no clue what you're supposed to do. There's nothing you're supposed to do in a situation like that.
4: It was just a tragic, unbelievable thing, and uh, I don't think I had myself together, you know, at that time.
1: Jonah's fiance was confirmed to be in Michigan at the time of the murder and was never a suspect. All attention now turned to Jonah's roommate, Jason Amami.
3: Um, I came home from the gym and the door was locked. I remember having to put my key in and unlock the door.
1: He walked detectives through the crime scene.
5: I came back here to go to bed after coming from the bathroom. I put my alarm clock. It's a five thirty.
1: He told them that he went to bed at midnight and woke up hours later when he heard Jonna screaming.
5: He said that Jonna has a history of sleepwalking, uh,
1: sometimes even maybe having nightmares. Uh, He thought that was what was going on. Jason, whose bedroom was right next to Jonna's, said he got up to check on her.
5: Jason said when he opened his bedroom door, he was confronted by a male that was walking out of or backing out of John's bedroom.
3: He pushed me back this way and I fell on the bed like this. Hard shove? Yeah, it was fairly hard shove. I remember hitting my head right
5: here. He said the male started stabbing him. He kind of balled up in a fetal position to protect himself, try and protect himself from the stabbing. He said he ended up kicking the individual kind of in the uh, growing area, kicked him back off of him. I took off and I ran as fast as I could this way.
1: The question now was whether Jason's story would match up with the other evidence at the scene. A partial bloody fingerprint was recovered from the blade of the murder weapon.
3: They weren't able to successfully remove that fingerprint. What they were able to do was to take high resolution photographs
1: of the fingerprint. But even with this high quality photograph, the print was too partial and too blood smeared to be entered into the AFIS database. In Jason's bedroom, investigators found a partial shoe print in blood. A small piece of cardboard
5: that had been left there where he had purchased some dress shirts. We knew that it could possibly came from the suspect.
1: Detectives sent the shoe print to the FBI, which maintains the largest shoe print database in the world. Nicknamed Soul Searcher, some 30,000 images are on file. Unlike APHIS, the fingerprint database or IBIS, a ballistics database, Soulsearcher searcher looks for shapes rather than attempting a direct comparison.
4: The footwear database here, we are not looking to identify a particular shoe. We are trying to compare and determine general brand or uh, make of that shoe.
1: It works by comparing different characteristics on the sole of the shoe.
4: Some of those shapes might be circles, some of them might be squares or rectangles, layered rectangles, zigzags, wave patterns. You can specify where on that impression if you know. If you have a heel, you can specify that that particular circle is on the heel.
1: When the print from Jana's crime scene was entered, the database returned 32 potential matches.
4: I was able to quickly scan through and determine that there was only one possibility, and that was the faded Glory Gannon.
1: The shoe was sold exclusively by Walmart, which narrowed things down, but still meant a lot of possibilities. As detectives attempted to run them down, and as blood at the scene was being analyzed for DNA, investigators asked Jason Emami to take a polygraph test, and he agreed. It didn't go well
5: then tell me why you failed that. I that have I mean? no idea and,
3: why. I mean, you know. didn't fail it, you, you didn't come close. I, I have no idea at all. Jason became really irate uh, with the polygrapher. I don't care what that box said. I voluntarily took this. If I had something to hide, why would I take this test? I live my life in fear knowing this guy is still out there. I
1: closed my- Was Jason lying? Or was he what he claimed to be, another victim of the crime? With so much blood at the scene, detectives hoped the DNA would reveal the answer. DNA testing on blood at Jonna Berry's crime scene revealed profiles from three people, Jonna her roommate, Jason Amami, who said he was wounded at the scene, and a third profile from an unknown male. It was found on the knife. It was found on the
3: doorknob leading out the back door of the apartment. And the droplets of
1: blood led down the back stairwell. The finding of blood from an unknown male meant Jason had been telling the truth all along. Another unknown man had shed blood in the apartment. So how had Jason failed the polygraph? It turned out the person administering the test not only ignored a series of standard protocols, he misread the results.
2: The results were looked at again. Uh, it was revealed that he did indeed pass that test.
3: I don't have a dog in this fight. All I'm trying to determine is the truth. I have told you the murder 100% true. It
5: wasn't really the polygrapher's place to confront the person that was taking the test that's supposed to be left up to the detective that's working the case
1: jason immediately went from chief suspect to chief witness his description of the killer was run through a computer the information was refined by a technician until Jason signed off on this image. He described a person as 5'8", uh, uh, stocky, 180 pounds,
3: white male. But more specifically, he was able to indicate that he had teardrop or pecan-shaped eyes that uh, the composite really highlighted.
2: We aired it almost every night in the hopes of trying to find who did this to Jana.
3: This is who sheriff's investigators are trying to identify... He's
2: in his twenties, about five feet eight inches tall, 150 pounds, and that led to a lot of tips.
1: As those tips were tracked down, detectives, hopeful the DNA would expose the killer, were dealt a setback. The CODIS database did not reveal the identity of the unknown male. The CODIS database doesn't
3: contain juveniles, and it doesn't contain people who haven't been convicted of crimes, so we knew that we were dealing with somebody who was a rather novice in terms of committing crimes.
1: Finally, one of the tips appeared to be solid. The potential suspect was a 19-year-old named Michael Percival. Percival lived about two
3: miles away from the crime scene, and he was active in some criminal activity,
1: burglaries, and things of that nature. When detectives went to pick him up, he was barefoot. He asked a detective to get his shoes.
5: That detective retrieved the shoes. She punched me in the arm, and her eyes were kind of the size of saucers. We both couldn't believe it, because those shoes were an actual pair of faded Glory Gannon shoes. The tread on the bottom appeared to be the same as what was left behind at the crime scene on the uh, cardboard in Jason Amemi's bedroom.
1: It looked like investigators had found their man, a theory only confirmed after Percival was in custody. And he indicated that he, in fact, had been present when Johna Berry was killed,
3: that he had gone over to Johna's house with another person, that that person had
1: gone in the back and had committed the stabbing. But parts of Percival's story didn't add up. He claimed he forced himself into Jonna's apartment with a crowbar, which was clearly not true. His shoes, while the same make and style as the shoe print at the scene were not an exact match. The
3: FBI concluded that that shoe had a different wear pattern than the shoes that had
1: left the bloody shoe print in Jason Amami's bedroom. And in a development beyond dispute, his DNA did not match DNA from the unidentified male. Percival had duped investigators who lost precious time investigating his story.
5: We kind of learned that Michael was an attention seeker, that he was trying to put himself in the middle of this for attention to be involved in this crime in some way.
4: That was very upsetting to know that someone would would say that they committed a, a horrible crime like this and not have done it.
1: Even worse, the investigation was now back to square one and was growing colder by the day. Jonna's family put up a $70,000 reward. Anything to keep it in the public's eye was the only way we figured our daughter's murder would ever be caught.
4: Whatever opportunity we had, we would do it. We had billboards, anything that we could do.
1: The case looked like it might go unsolved. But then, some two years after Jonna's murder, a suspect with an incredible resemblance to the composite sketch, finally emerged. Jonna Berry's family seized every opportunity to keep her case alive... This computer-generated composite sketch was a regular sight in Knoxville. In June of 2007, an anonymous tipster told police they should check out 22-year-old Taylor Olson.
2: Taylor Olson had a juvenile record. He was known for breaking into cars. Nothing major, but enough to have police and sheriff's officers know who he was.
3: Taylor Olson was not somebody that we would say
1: by looking at his rap sheet that he was uh, conclusively the killer. By this time, two years had passed, and it was unlikely that whoever killed Jonna still had the shoes that left the bloody shoe print at the scene. Taylor Olson didn't, but he did own a pair when Jonna was killed.
2: Taylor's mother and ex girlfriend identified those shoes. They said, hey, he doesn't have them anymore. But he once wore them. In fact, he wore them at the time of Jonna's
1: murder. Detectives got Taylor Olson's DNA and soon afterward got a stunning call from the lab. The DNA of the unidentified man who left a trail of blood in Jonna's apartment had finally been identified.
5: When we got the phone call that we had gotten a match on the unknown DNA sample, it was a shock. It was unbelievable, couldn't believe it. We had finally gotten somebody that was responsible for, for the murder.
1: In September of 2007, Taylor Olson was arrested for Jonna's murder. His hand showed a couple of linear scars of the type made by a knife. He still denied any involvement.
0: I can't believe that y'all tell me that my blood's there. That my blood's all down this knife and like how the f- did we get there? Oh,
4: you know, got
5: there because you were there. He still says there's no way I wasn't there. My DNA's not there. Y'all made a mistake.
1: Eventually, Olson admitted he was in the area that night looking for open apartments to steal keys to a car. He said Jana's back door was unlocked. He entered and eventually made his way to her bedroom. According to Olson, Jana attacked him with a knife, and he simply defended himself.
0: <sighs> Freaked out. And I just, I don't know, I can't believe this happened. You got the
5: knife away from that person and just went kind of crazy?
3: Yeah.
5: I guess they were sleeping with it.
1: Prosecutors didn't buy the story. They believe Olsen found the apartment's back door open and picked up a knife as he searched for something to steal. He went into Jonna's bedroom, startled. She woke up and confronted him. Olsen apparently panicked and frantically stabbed her, over and over. His hand slipped on the bloody knife, cutting him. He began shedding blood. He left Jonna's room and was met by Jason Amami who he also attacked, creating even more blood evidence. He left a bloody shoe print on the piece of cardboard on Jason's floor. His DNA was on the murder weapon and in the blood trail he created as he escaped out the back door. His prints were ultimately matched back to the partial print on the bloody knife. Taylor Olsen didn't know Jonna. Investigators have no explanation for the level of violence with which he attacked her. After his arrest, even he seemed at a loss for an explanation.
0: Did you mean to kill her? It was an accident. But you stabbed her twenty-six times.
4: How can you say it was an accident? He could have left. He didn't have to just keep on and on stabbing it, you know stabbing her, and he didn't have to do that. No, it wasn't no accident.
1: In March of two thousand eight, as the day of his trial approached. Taylor Olson was found dead in his jail cell. So he
5: hung himself in Knox County Jail. It's called a coward's admission of
4: guilt. I'm thankful that I had Jonna for 21 years. I'd rather had her for 21 years than to never had her at all. So I'm very grateful for that. But at the same time, I'm also mad that she was taken away.
1: The Barry family created a support group called Hope for Victims. They also work to change state laws to allow for collection of DNA from anyone arrested for a violent crime.
4: Law enforcement can only do so much. They can, you know, they can only work with the tools that they have, and they need better tools to work with.
5: That one little hit on the DNA for the blood, that solved the whole case. It takes all the question out
3: the forensic evidence was critical to the resolution of this case there would be no case if taylor olson hadn't bled and he'd gotten away if he hadn't have been injured during the attack uh, this case would have
1: never been solved